The spiritual patterns we practice can both have a positive and negative impact on those around us. We'll talk about that next on Bold Steps Weekend. If you don't intentionally determine to break the cycles of your past, you will repeat it over and over. And listen, your children will repeat it and your grandchildren will repeat it. There has to be people that become cycle breakers. Welcome to Bold Steps Weekend with Mark Job, president of Moody Bible Institute and also senior pastor of New Life Community Church in Chicago. And I'm Wayne Shepherd. Well, this weekend, we're wrapping up our in-depth study on Nehemiah and what a wonderful journey it's been. Today, our focus is on setting new patterns in your life, patterns that reflect goodness and faith. The goal, to reap a harvest of righteousness. If you've missed any portion of our series on Nehemiah titled Rebuild Your Life, Your City, Your World, make sure to head over to boldstepsweekend.org. That's where we house our archived programs, and we'd love to connect with you and learn how this series has helped you take those needed steps to get back on track with God. Send us a message when you visit boldstepsweekend.org. Now, continuing on with Nehemiah chapter 13 and the message called Breaking Out of Spiritual Relapse, here's Mark Job on Bold Steps Weekend. Many of us, what we do is we repeat the cycles of our grandparents, our parents, and our great-grandparents, and we never break out of those cycles. This is the very thing that the great-grandparents had done that had led Israel to uh, devastate Jerusalem. This is what led them down the path. They had taken God out of the center of their life and put it aside, and now the great-grandchildren were doing the same thing over. I want you to hear me well. There needs to be a generation that rises up that says, we will break the bad cycle of our past. If you don't intentionally determine to break the cycles of your past, you will repeat it over and over. And listen, your children will repeat it, and your grandchildren will repeat it. There has to be people that become cycle breakers. If you put your life in neutral, you're going to repeat the patterns of your past. In fact, some of you right now, as I speak, you're repeating the patterns of your past. Patterns of divorce, patterns of addiction, patterns of marital infidelity, patterns of depression, patterns of a critical spirit. Some of you had patterns of that in the past. Your grandparents did it. Your great-grandparents did it. You've learned it. It's almost like it's built into you. You don't have to, you, you just naturally do it because it's been passed down from generation to generation. And you know what Nehemiah's telling them? Nehemiah's telling them, break the pattern. Get out of the cycle. And I'm convinced that God has called every believer in Jesus Christ to be a cycle breaker. That you break out of bad patterns and you start new patterns in God. Patterns that are sowing seeds of goodness and faith so that you will begin to reap a harvest of righteousness in your life. Some of you have been sowing bad seeds for so long that you, I get questions all the time, Pastor, how come all these bad things are happening to me? Listen, you've been sowing it for 40 years. You think that just because you've been come to Christ two months ago that your entire harvest is gonna be good harvest? You have to walk a while in God to begin to reap the good harvest of God. Amen? Amen. It takes time to turn things around. 
It takes time to build up a new harvest. It takes time to change your mind, time to change your finances, time to change your marriage. It doesn't happen overnight. You can't sow seeds and expect the next day to reap the fruit. It takes cycles and times to do so. And so Nehemiah is telling them it's time to break the cycle. Notice what he says. You need to break out of what your forefathers were doing, and then he takes action, verse 19. When evening shadows fell on the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I ordered the doors to be shut and not opened until the Sabbath was over. I stationed some of my men at the gates so that no load could be brought in on the Sabbath day. Once or twice, the merchants and sellers of all kinds of goods spent the night outside Jerusalem. But I warned them and said, why do you spend the night by the wall? If you do this again, I love this, I will lay hands on you. Now, he's not talking about prayer there. (laughs) He's talking about aggressive laying hands on them. From that time on, they no longer came on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and go and guard the gates to keep order on the Sabbath day. Here's what I like about Nehemiah. He didn't just preach about it. He personally confronted people that needed change. How many of you know that we can sit under a teaching and know it's right, but until we're personally confronted, we don't change? You may, be coming to, you may have been coming to this church for a while, and you heard, you've heard me talk about sexual purity and not you know, sleeping with your girlfriend. And you kind of nod, you take the notes, you write it down. You're newer. You're a new, newer believer, and you know, yeah, I probably shouldn't. You know, Pastor Mark you know, says, I shouldn't, but hey. A man's a man, right? A man's got to do what a man's got to do. And you just kind of continue on. You want to follow God, but you keep falling until someone, a brother that's next to you in your home group says to you, hey, bro, you know it's going to be heavy when it's, hey, bro. <laughs> hey, bro. I called you up the other weekend. You weren't home all night. I called you to 2 in the morning. Where are you at at 2 in the morning? You know, I just, uh, you know, me and my girlfriend, you know, I slept over at her house. Oh, you slept over at her house, huh? I've noticed a lot of, like, sleeping over. Hey, your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. When are you going to fess up, start walking in purity, and if you really want to make this relationship work, marry the woman? You see, they saw it, they've sat in church and heard about it, but it's when someone that knows your name personally and lovingly, underscore lovingly, lovingly confronts you and says, brother, man, it's time to change. And you see, I believe that we change best in the context of community, not a talking head from the front that gives us the teaching. That is helpful, but when we really change is when people around us that get into our life and help us and confront us and iron sharpens iron. Let me tell you how it doesn't work. It doesn't work if you expect, I hope Pastor Mark talks to him. No, wait a second. It doesn't work that way. Because the people closest to you should be the people that are bringing you the truth in love. Let me tell you, if you love someone, you bring the truth up front straight to them if you love them. 
The body of Christ should be about us helping each other grow. And listen, that means getting involved in each other's life and yes, getting involved in each other's business. Pastor, I don't want anybody getting involved in my business, you know. I don't know. No, no, no. That's the body. That's the family. The difference between an audience and a family is that a family gets involved in each other's life. Hey, I want people involved in your business. I want you involved in their business in a good and healthy way. That's the way you grow. An audience doesn't get involved in each other's life. A family gets involved in each other's lives, and they help people grow. They confront each other. They talk to each other. They pray for one another. They encourage one another. That's what the body's all about. And so there's people around you that you love, that you care for, and you see that they're going down a path that's not good. It's up to you to have the boldness in love to speak the truth to them in love so that they can go in the right direction and not stray. Amen? All right. Now, the second thing that Nehemiah talks to them about is not just about keeping the Sabbath. He says, remember me for this also, O my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. The second thing begins in verse 23. Now he talks to them about the integrity of their relationships. Moreover, it says, in those days, I saw men of Judah, this is a Jewish people, the people that had promised to follow God, who had married women of Ashdod and Ammon and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of one of the other people and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. I rebuked them. Let me tell you what he does in a second. So what had happened is that Nehemiah comes back and he looks around and he realizes that the Jewish men, the fathers, had given their daughters or sons away to people uh, people of other nations. And he's ticked. Now, this is not about bigotry, ethnicity, or racism. It's about spiritual compatibility. Because the people of Ammon and Moab and these other places worship pagan gods, did not worship God, the God of the Bible. And so, the Jewish men were giving their daughters, often marriage, to some guy that was burning sacrifice to a idol pole and they were getting married and the Jewish woman was trying to follow Jehovah God and her husband was following the pagan God and their children were super confused about what God they should be following and 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 how their faith should play itself out in fact the the Bible they could not teach them the Bible because many of these children did not learn the language of Judah so they couldn't be taught scripture and they were getting a lot of confusing signals in their home about who they should worship and how they should worship and this was a widespread practice and it had happened so much that the children and now the grandchildren were not following Jehovah God at all and were super confused about following God because they had married in an unequal way. You're listening to Pastor Mark Job, and this is Bold Steps Weekend. The title of today's message is Breaking Out of Spiritual Relapse. We've been working through the book of Nehemiah, and we're wrapping up in chapter 13 right now. Mark will continue in a moment. 
Just a quick break to let you know that if you miss any of these weekend radio broadcasts, it's no problem. You can always listen at your own convenience on our website, boldstepsweekend.org. All of our past programs are available anytime, anywhere, on demand. You can also listen on the Moody Radio app. Learn more when you visit boldstepsweekend.org. But now let's get back into our message called Breaking Out of Spiritual Relapse. Here again is Pastor Mark Job and Bold Steps Weekend. Now let me give you a principle. I talked about it last week, but let me say it again. If you are a Christ-following single woman today, your first priority in looking for a husband shouldn't be the color of his eyes, the size of his bicep, the size of his paycheck. Now those are all okay things. Make your wish list. But the top of your wish list, the uncompromising part of your wish list should be, does this person share my spiritual values? Is this a man that loves God, it is serious about the things of Jesus Christ, and is a Christ follower? Because ultimately, if you get married to that person, the Bible says that you will become one. And the question is, how can you become one with a person that doesn't share at the heart the very core of your being, if at the center of your life is your relationship with Jesus Christ, how can you become one with someone who's at the center of their heart does not have Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? You will live to regret it. Now, here's the thing. This is probably one of the biggest sticklers that people run into all the time. Because oftentimes, we think that that's, a, that that's a nice thing, but we put it in category number seven, eight, or nine, or ten. We don't make it a priority. But here's how it plays out. The way it plays out is if you're following God and you meet someone that you like their personality, you like their looks, you really connect, you feel like you have something going on, they don't really follow God like you follow God, but you think I'll influence them. That's called evangelistic dating. I'm going to influence them because maybe the, I, if I can help them come around, then they will come around. So you end up get falling in love. You get married even though you're not sharing the core of your life together. And now suddenly after you get married, you realize this person is farther off spiritually than what you thought because while you were dating, they were sort of just kind of, uh, they were playing along with you and trying to be nice, going to church. You'd have to drag them. You'd have to, hey, I'll pay for your meal afterwards. They would come and meet your Christian friends and tolerate your Christianity. But once you're married, they don't feel like they have to play along with the game anymore. So it's, honey, take the kids to fine, take the kids to church, you know, I'll meet you for lunch. So they stay in bed, you take the kids to church, you start talking about how you're going to raise the kids. Suddenly now there's differences about praying. The kids grow up seeing only mom pray. The little boys grow up thinking Christianity is for moms, but not dads. And when they get to their teenage years, they say, I don't want to go anymore. Dad says I don't have to go. And pretty soon you have a boy that's having mixed signals in their life and grows up with some Christianity in their life, 
some secularism in their life and grows up and when they marry, they marry someone that doesn't share the same spiritual values and by the time you have grandkids, oftentimes you have a generation of kids that totally have abandoned Christianity and the faith. Why? Because someone in their dating years compromised. Are you tracking with me? You see, the core of your life, if Jesus Christ is really at the core of your life, then you need to find someone that's spiritually compatible. Now, some of you are here and you've already married. Maybe you came to Christ after you were married. And I want to just give a word of encouragement to you. You can do nothing about your past. But God has an amazing way of taking our past and sometimes turning it around for the good. God is full of grace. And now that you're married, even if you're, some of you come to church and your husband wants to have nothing to do with your Christianity. And I want to encourage you. I pray that God will give you double grace. And I pray that God would give you the ability to affect your children. And I pray that God would give you the ability to splash onto your husband. And that in God's right time, in his right season, that your husband one day may be worshiping with you and following God together with you. I pray that for you. Now you say, well, how big of an issue is that? Is it a real big issue, small issue, big issue? How passionate is God about this? Well, you can see a little bit in Nehemiah's reaction. In fact, look what it says. I'm not making this up. Look at look it in your Bible. He gathered the men together, he gathered all the fathers together, and he says, and I rebuked them. Rebuke means, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. And then he said, and I called curses down on them. If you go down in this direction, this is what's going to happen. God's blessing will be off you. And then he says, and then I beat some of the men. Whoa. This is a mixture between a pastor and an extreme fighter. So here's Nehemiah. You let your daughter do what? Ugh. She married who? Boom. <laughs> Believe me, I've wanted to do that before. <laughs> now, now, just because Nehemiah did it doesn't mean it's right, okay? Notice that after he did this, he didn't write any more books of the Bible. It ended at <laughs> chapter 13. Not sure if he lost his sanctification after that. God said, no more books, no more books. Man, you really blew it. You can't go around beating people up, pulling their hair out, and chopping them down. I don't care how passionate you get about it. Not tolerated, no. But he did it. It's in there. He's human too, right? He got upset about this. He started beating people up, saying, and then he said to them, he made them promise, you are not to give your daughters in marriage uh, in marriage to their sons, nor are you to take your, their daughters in marriage for your sons or for yourselves. Was it not because of marriages like these that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? Among the many nations, there was no king like him. He loved God, and God made him king over all of Israel, but even he was led into sin by foreign women. Must we he here now that you too are doing this terrible wickedness and that you are being unfaithful to God by marrying foreign women. Let me tell you, he held the fathers responsible for the decisions of their children. Can I talk to you uh, parents just for a moment who have uh, younger children or teenage kids? 
It is your job to begin to give them a vision for marriage and family, who they are to marry, the kind of person. It's your job. Hey, start talking to them young about it. We've been praying for our kids who they're going to marry since they were little kids. In fact, I remember one of the first times we prayed for my son Grant. He was probably about four years old, four or five years old. We were praying, and my wife was actually praying for him, and she said, oh, Lord, I pray for Grant's wife-to-be. He's four or five years old. Pray that she'll be a godly woman, that she'll love you, that she'll really treat him well, that she'll know how to cook well. And he tugs on her shirt, and he says, and that she's got a Lamborghini Diablo, which is an expensive car. <laughs> I got that. And I want to instill in my boys, I'm, I'm trying to teach my boys, hey, I, I want a vision of manhood. I want you to grow up, marry a good, godly woman. I want you to provide for her, protect her. I, I see you as a man that can take care of his family, that teaches and trains his kid. That is a hero. That's a man. Not, not just, hey, my eight-year-old Grant, he wants to be a football player. So, you know, he's all in big football player. And I'm saying, that's great, son. But you know what? A man of God, wow, that's the real hero. A man that can lead his family, care for his wife, love his children, teach them integrity. Wow, that's huge. And I encourage you fathers to begin to train your children young and early about a vision for what it means to be a godly man or a godly woman in the household. Begin to train them young. Part of a vision that you're giving into their lives. And then it says, verse 28, and we close with this. Then one of the sons of Joadiah, son of Eliashib, the high priest, was son-in-law to Samballot the Horonite, and I drove him away too. The grandson of the high priest had violated this and had, mar- and had married outside, had married a pagan woman, and Nehemiah deals with that first. So I purified the priests and the Levites and every foreign thing and assigned them duties, each one his own task. I also made provision for contributions of wood, designated times, and for the first fruits. And then he ends with this, remember me with favor, O my God. Here's my challenge as we close. The challenge I'm giving you today is this. Is God at the center? And if you have allowed yourself to begin to slide back or lapse back from these strong priority commitments in your life, then God is calling you through his Holy Spirit to say, today, God, I I step back into my place of commitment, God, I step back into making you a priority, into making my relationship and you a priority. As a father, I step back. I step back into the place of training my children. As a single man or woman, I step back in the place of saying, I will date your way, God. As an individual, I put worship back into the priority, Father, because I don't want to repeat the generational cycles that have been given to me, God. I want to live in the center of your blessing. Amen. That's Pastor Mark Job, and this is Bold Steps Weekend. It really does come down to that question, is God at the center of your life? And Mark, that is the key question of life, isn't it? It really is. And Wayne, it's so easy 
to make God just a part of our life. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing about the gospel. The gospel is super clear that Jesus desires, not only desires, requires Mm -hmm. to be Lord of our life. Yes. And so that tendency to make him just one of the satellites around our life has to be stopped and he needs to be put in his proper place. Well, Mark, thank you for this message today. The battle is real. It's fierce, it's intense, it's spiritual, and it is personal. And this is the final message in our months-long study through the book of Nehemiah. To listen to past programs or to share this series with a friend, visit our message archives at boldstepsweekend.org. And a reminder that this month's Bold Action Gift comes to you as our thanks for your donation to support the ministry of Bold Steps Weekend. It's a book called When Faith is Forbidden, 40 Days on the Front Lines with Persecuted Christians, written by Todd Nettleton. For over 20 years, Todd has traveled the world interviewing and supporting persecuted Christians. And now he shares some of the most inspiring stories of faith, forgiveness, and courage straight from his personal journals. To make a donation and request this bold action gift, call us at 866-535-5580. That's 866-535-5580. Or donate online at boldstepsweekend.org. But if it's easier, you can also send your donation in the mail. Just address your envelope to Bold Steps Weekend, 820 North LaSalle Boulevard, Chicago, Illinois, 60610. I'm Wayne Shepard. On behalf of the entire team, thanks for joining us. We'll see you again next weekend when we'll discover our gifts and how to put them into practice in a message Mark has titled, Gifted by the Spirit. That's coming up next time on Bold Steps Weekend. Bold Steps Weekend is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.